You're listening to Comedy Central. January 15, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. tonight, a brilliant woman, author of the new book, Thick. Tracy McMillan Cottam is here, everybody. We're going to be having a fascinating conversation with her. And on tonight's show, we'll also be discussing the three R's, robots, racism, and Republicans. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Great Britain, not so great anymore. If you think things look bad in the new Spider-Man trailer, just wait till you see it on the news. A breaking news on Brexit. British Prime Minister Theresa May losing a historic vote on her plan to leave the European Union. The parliament overwhelmingly rejecting the deal in a vote late tonight in London. Today's defeat was a landslide. Theresa May got a shellacking. The right voted no. The left voted no. It was the worst failure of government in Britain by the numbers in the history of Great Britain. Good Lord, what a mess. I bet Mary Poppins floated down, looked around, and just turned around like, well, you've really shit the bed now. (laughs) I'm out, bitches! (laughs) So, with this vote, Theresa May has become one of the UK's least popular people, which is impressive in a country that also has Piers Morgan, right? (laughs) She wanted Brexit, no one's voted with her, and now that her Brexit plan has been voted down, the country is faced with either calling the whole thing off or going through with Brexit with no exit plan at all. Yeah, it's basically like the whole UK suddenly realized they don't have a condom, and they're like, well, we know what the smart thing is to do, but we also really wanted to get screwed, so... (laughs) Moving on, Netflix. They're the streaming service that turned every blockbuster video into a seasonal Halloween store, and, uh, they just made a big announcement. Big news today out of Netflix. Raising prices for U.S. subs as much as 18%, effective immediately for new users. It's the company's biggest increase since it launched its streaming service 12 years ago. The price for Netflix's most popular plan will jump the most, to $13 per month from $11. That's right, Netflix is increasing its prices, which, I'm sorry, is so unfair. Do they even care about how this is gonna affect me and my mom and Kibuka and Olisa and all the other people using my account? No, they don't care. They don't care. I mean, before, I could divide $11 by the 11 people who have my password, (laughs) but 13, that shit makes no sense. (laughs) Now I'm gonna have to give two more people my login details. So if anyone wants to join my account, it's TNOAH, and then the password is TAKAMBA, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously all caps. Go crazy. But look, I I will admit, I do get why Netflix is doing this, right? Netflix just spent $100 million to buy friends. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's almost as much as Don Jr. spent to buy his friends. (laughs) Oh, and speaking of the Trumps, it is now day 25 of the government shutdown. The longest in American history. And it looks like now even President Trump is starting to feel the effects. An odd feast for champions. The Clemson Tigers football team was treated to a vast spread of 
fast food during their visit to the White House. Much of the White House resident staff is not working because of the shutdown. So President Trump, he footed the bill and treated the NCAA champs to burgers, fries, and pizza. Burger King, Wendy's, and McDonald's. We have Big Macs, we have Quarter Pounders with cheese, we have everything that I like that you like. Now, what's your favorite thing here, Mr. President? I like it all. I like it all. It's all good stuff. Do you prefer great American food? I like how I like how he busted himself because he's like, we got all the things that I like, that you like, that you like, that you like. <laughs> and honestly, is there anything more Trump than eating McDonald's by candlelight? <laughs> Like, I feel like that's him. If you combine any fancy thing with any garbagey thing, that's Trump's style, right? <laughs> McDonald's by candlelight. Caviar in a porta party. <laughs> him in the White House. You know? It's just a mix. But I will say this. If the government shutdown means that Trump gets to eat cheeseburgers every night, then this thing is gonna last forever. Buckle up, folks. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main story. Racism. As we all know, it died for good the night Barack Obama was elected president. <laughs> but a strange thing happened this week. We learned that racism may be coming back to life. And it turns out, it's already in the House. House Republican leaders came down hard on one of their own last night. Iowa Congressman Steve King was stripped of his committee assignments less than a week after making a comment to the New York Times that was widely seen as racist. The decision was made by House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy and other top Republicans. These are not the first time we've heard these comments. Um, that is not the party of Lincoln and is definitely not America. He ought to resign and move on and let someone else who represents American values take his seat. One Republican who did not weigh in was President Trump. I don't, I haven't been following it. I really haven't been following it. You haven't been following it? Like, what, what else are you doing? I'm extremely busy, folks. Do you think a name like Jeff Bozo just comes out of nowhere, huh? <laughs> Genius like that takes time. But this is a big deal. The Republican Party has punished one of its own for making racist comments. And if you haven't been keeping up with the story, what happened is in an interview with the New York Times, Steve King, basically said that he doesn't think there's anything wrong with being a white supremacist. Now, that feels like a pretty racist thing to say, which makes it even more surprising that Trump isn't following this. I mean, you'd think an algorithm or something would have recommended it by now. Be like, <laughs> if you like Charlottesville, you'll love Steve King. <laughs> but as damning as King's comments sound to most people, he's claiming that it's not what he said, it's just how we heard it. The New York Times is suggesting that I'm an advocate for white nationalism and white supremacy. I want to make one thing abundantly clear. I reject those labels and the evil ideology that they define. Ah, okay. So Steve King went from saying those terms are not offensive to then rejecting them and calling them evil. I haven't seen a turnaround that drastic since the movie Titanic. Remember where the iceberg started off as the good guy and then out of nowhere just started killing everybody? I was like, what the hell, iceberg? <laughs> so as it stands, Steve King said a thing that's really racist, but he claims that he isn't racist at all. So which is it? Is he racist or not? Well, I think this sounds like a job for Trevor Noah, racism detective. <laughs> oh, hello. It's still me, Trevor Noah, racism detective. 
You can tell I'm a real detective because I'm wearing a funny hat and I have a magnifying glass for, like, burning ants or whatever people use that for. <laughs> so, now that I have all my gear, it's time to investigate whether Congressman Steve King is actually a racist. And here's our first clue. A clip of Steve King in 2013 saying disparaging things about Mexican immigrants. They aren't all valedictorians. They weren't all brought in by their parents. Uh, for everyone who's a valedictorian, there's another hundred out there that um, they weigh 130 pounds and they've got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. Okay, that, that's like the weirdest math problem I've ever heard. <laughs> If Jose is 130 pounds and he's hauling 75 pounds of marijuana, his calves would be the size of what fruit? <laughs> like, the weirdest part of this one is that King isn't even working off existing stereotypes. He's just making up new ones that don't exist. <laughs> Mexicans have cantaloupe calves? You can't even tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Even Mexicans are like, thank you? <laughs> I mean, I have been getting my steps in. <laughs> so the first clue is racist seeming. But on the other hand, cantaloupe isn't a racist fruit. Like, if he really wanted to be racist, he could have said bananas or watermelon. You know, classic racist fruit. So we still need more proof. And look, what's this? It's another clue. When you talked about Muslims working in your pork plants and say, I don't want Muslims work working in my pork plant because they need extra But I didn't say that. What did you, you say? Gotta have, Chris, you gotta have a sense of humor here's here. This, wait, here's the soundbite. The rationale is that if infidels that are eating this pork, they're not eating it, so as long as they're preparing this pork for infidels, it helps send them <laughs> to hell and it must make Allah happy. Um, Jeez. Why do, I don't want people doing my pork that won't eat it. Fair enough. Damn. So Steve King says he doesn't want Muslims working in pork factories because he thinks it makes them happy to feed the rest of us pork because it'll send us to hell. <laughs> so in his mind, there are some Muslims who hate everyone else so much, they're like, I want to destroy these infidels. Let's blow them up. No, no, too easy. <laughs> Let's open a pork shop. <laughs> feed them delicious bacon and watch them enjoy themselves for many years until they die naturally and then go to hell. Ha, 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 Bacon grease, bacon grease. <laughs> so he said Mexicans are drug mules with cantaloupe calves, and Muslims are trying to damn our souls with pork. But I don't know. Does that mean he's racist? Or is he just hungry? <laughs> Without more clues, we can never know. Unless there's a third clue. This Western civilization still is a, but... is a superior civilization. You cannot rebuild your civilization with somebody else's babies. You've got to keep your birth rate up. <laughs> God damn it, that was so racist, it burned my lungs. <laughs> you can't rebuild a civilization with someone else's babies. I mean, on the one hand, he's right. Babies are terrible at building stuff. <laughs> have you ever given a baby a power tool? I have. That's why I'm not allowed near daycare centers anymore. <laughs> but what King is actually saying is that minority babies could never be American. Only white babies can truly be American. I assume they're taught how to become American by their Filipino nannies. So we got three clues, but it still doesn't feel like we have enough to know for sure that Steve King is racist. If only he had said something else, something really, really explicitly racist, like this. 
go back through history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people that you're talking about, if, that what, where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? Than white people? Than, than Western civilization itself that's rooted in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and the United States of America, and every place where the footprint of Christianity settled the world. That's all of Western civilization. Oh man, Steve King actually has a good point here, folks. Other cultures haven't really contributed anything to human civilization. I mean, the paper in front of him was invented in China, but that doesn't count. Who's ever used paper? And the numbers on that sign behind him, India came up with those, but I mean... <laughs> and the Christianity he just mentioned, obviously that came from the Middle East. So that's three things that non-white cultures contributed to humanity, but I mean, who's counting other than the Indians? So, <laughs> let's look at the evidence. On the one hand, we have Steve King being racist towards Mexicans, Muslims, and the entire non-white world. But on the other hand, he says he's not racist. Huh. Even I'm not good enough as a racism detective to crack this one. So I guess it'll just have to remain a mystery. Join me next week when I investigate cross burnings. Are they racist? Or just a dramatic way to roast marshmallows? <laughs> I will try to find out. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. The future, it's coming fast, and it's here now. Which means Ronnie Chang is back with another installment of Today's Future Now. Thanks, Trevor. Last week in Las Vegas was the annual Consumer Electronics Show, where tech companies give us a first look at all the junk we'll be throwing away in six months. <laughs> and this year was the worst yet. They have a lot of technology and no good ways to use it. One of the items turning heads is a fully automated bread-making vending machine. The bread bought by the Wilkinson Baking Company can make 10 loaves an hour from scratch. The fully automated bread-making machine measures, mixes, kneads, bakes, and sells bread like a vending machine. A vending machine for bread. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but when I'm craving a snack on the go, I want an entire loaf of bread. <laughs> a vending machine is supposed to be convenient. There's nothing convenient about a loaf of bread. While you're at it, why don't you just build a vending machine for paella or whole watermelons? <laughs> and that wasn't even the most unnecessary thing at CES this year. Okay, look at what one company is offering for babies because they're hoping that new parents are too tired to notice how stupid it is. A company called Monit has a cookie-sized attachment that you can put on a diaper, and it's Bluetooth-enabled, so anytime the diaper gets dirty, you'll get a notification on your phone. The sensor can detect whether there's a number one or a number two in the diaper. <laughs> Wow, a diaper with built-in notification. You know what else has a built-in notification? Human shit, all right? <laughs> Trust me, it'll let you know when it's in the room. Or even the next room, depending on what you ate, okay? You don't need to bring Bluetooth into this. Also, who wants to get notifications on their phone every time their baby takes a crap? Notifications are supposed to be for good things. I don't want to be like, oh, my phone's buzzing. I wonder if it's my food that's uh, here. Oh, no, that's just my son's food coming out of its butt. <laughs> what I like about CES is that it does give me a chance to see what I would be buying if I had unlimited money. 
And Lamborghini has partnered with Los Angeles-based company Body Friends to create a top-of-the-line massage chair called the LBF 750. It has the aesthetics and paint job of a Lamborghini and comes with LED lighting. Now, if this looks like something that's maybe a bit too fancy for your house, you might be right. It's worth a cool $30,000 and it's mostly been sold in places like Macau and Asia. So basically you need to be like crazy rich and Asian to buy this. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, anyway, if you have $30,000 to spend on a massage chair, you don't need a massage chair, okay? What could you possibly be stressed about? Is carrying all your money hurting your back? <laughs> but the real stars of every CES are the robots. For one week a year, they get to be the creepiest things in Las Vegas. Here at CES, the hottest products and robots are powered by artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence programmed to give robots a personality and sometimes an attitude. Please don't touch me when I am dancing. Yeah, you tell him, Atu, me too. This is just the beginning of robots asserting their rights. All right, next thing you know, your Roomba's gonna want a living wage and benefits. I already got two cavities because my electric toothbrush went on paid vacation. <laughs> so that robot didn't want to be touched, but some of these other ones are getting downright needy. This is the Lovot. It's yeah. a contraction of loving and robot. <laughs> Many of the smartest robot companies I'm seeing here, including GrooveX, are saying robots need to be relatable even before they are capable. The body is covered with dozens of sensors. When I, well, when I carry it and hold it and stroke it a certain way, it remembers that, it learns its relationship with me. The more time you spend with it, the better it knows you and the more it'll become attached to you and actually kind of be around you more. Yo, tech nerds, you don't have to try so hard to make machines likable, okay? We already love them. You see this little guy right here? Yo, this, this thing is like my best friend, all right? I would die for it. One time I left it in a cab and I turned to Liam Neeson and take it. Because I have a particular set of skills and a particular set of nudes on that phone <laughs> that I will be needing back. Well, when you say it like that, I'm, I'm glad you got it back. Yeah, I had to kill eight guys in Paris, but you gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, have you seen these nudes, Trevor? They're incredible. Oh, Look at that. We don't need that. Ronnie Chang, everyone. We'll be right back. Put the nudes away. Put the nudes away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an assistant professor of sociology at Virginia Commonwealth University and a critically acclaimed author whose new book is called Thick and Other Essays. Please welcome back to the show, Tressie Macmillan Cotton. <laughs> I put the chair Trevor. high on purpose for I you. No. I, I just want you to experience a different. Every you know, time. I, okay. I want to see more of you. That's all. <laughs> How are you? I am well. Welcome Thank back you. to the show. Thank you. And congratulations on your new book, Thick. The title of the book is Thick. And what's interesting is that for you, it's not just a physical term about your personality. It's it's a term about personality. It's a term about body. It's a term mm -hmm. about all of the ideas that go into what society perceives a black woman to be or what she should be. Give me an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish with this book. That's a great question. I think uh, Thick was about it. That Thick was the last essay I wrote in this book. And when we titled it, it all sort of came together for me. And it was this. There's this theme running through the history of black women's experience of this country and of the world. 
that is about us being nuanced and sometimes too nuanced for the world to perceive us as we perceive ourselves. And it was in that nuance where I wanted people to get comfortable. We're not usually very comfortable in places where we don't have easy black and white answers. Right. And this book is about complicating all of that, but in a way that centers the experiences of black women as being human experiences, which is what I thought, if, it, if there's any contribution of this book, it is that. It, it's interesting that you say that because for many black women in America, they have always said that the, de the definition of being a black woman in America is one that seems to be defined by others. That is correct. So they go, you're the angry black woman, That's you're right. the sassy black woman, oh, you're smart for a black woman. Ah. It seems like there's always some sort of qualifier right. that comes with that. You're trying to dissect those ideas. Mm -hmm. The book is really, really in-depth, but at the same time, easy to understand. Why did you break it into essays as opposed to just writing one long book? Well, I don't know that one long book would be uh, enough for the story of black women. Oddly enough, essays are a better approach because right. you can take these slices of our life um, and you run the risk of people thinking that this is a definitive book on what it is to be a black woman. I mean, so one of the things that happens when you're a black woman and you have some public personality is you become everybody's black friend who doesn't have an actual <laughs> black friend. Right. Um, and I didn't want to give the impression that by reading one definitive text about black women, you knew everything there was to know about black yes. women. What this does in instead is give you a slice of life and the thinking and the philosophy of black womanhood as I understand it, not just as someone who lives it and has experienced it, but someone who has studied it and thought about it at these different levels. So essays allow me to sort of slice those sections of our life experiences off in a way that I think a single narrative wouldn't allow me to do. Uh, you, you talk in the book about how, you know, publications, for instance, don't hire enough black women right. as voices to mm -hmm. constantly contribute. You know, they, right. they just want to jump in and be like, hey, there's a black issue. That's black right. lady, can you just jump in and write this for us? But we're not going to hire you permanently. Yes. Why do you think that's so important in, in, in the conversations that America has in and around its politics or social right. issues? Uh, you know, it's important on a couple of levels. It's important to black women because we deserve it, right? If, if you have earned the spot to contribute to the public discourse, then you should be at publications that help shape that kind of discourse. Right. And our opinion pages, those mastheads, as much as we like to think that they no longer matter, Indeed, in the age of social media, they, ma they may matter more and not less because we tend to turn to the publications that we trust more when news becomes right, uh, more right, difficult right. to trust, right? Um, and if those are gonna be the publications that we trust, it should look like the people whose trust we are asking for. So that's one reason. The other reason is I believe that the philosophy that black women have developed over hundreds of years says as much about black womanhood as it says about everyone else's experiences. And frankly, I just think we're smarter if we listen to black women. That's not to say that black women are always right, but black women, black women do always have a right to be heard. Right? Right. Um, and when you don't model what it means to take black women seriously in our public discourse, it reinforces the idea that people don't have to take us seriously. If you, if you look at the ideas and if you look at America's relationship with the black woman, mm -hmm. what would you hope would change? I mean, you, you write so many ideas in the book, but what, what would you hope you would see change in the country? I would hope that we are at a moment where it can be taken for granted that if you are having a, a, a conversation about anything 
that uh, has implications for the body politic writ large, that you would look around the table of that conversation and know that there are voices missing without someone having to tell you. Wow. We should not at this stage of the game have to write you a letter, send you a tweet, right, right, <laughs> right? Right. write an essay about David Brooks and how off track he is. We shouldn't have to do these things anymore, that even if you don't quite understand the extent to which our contribution is important, that you should be able to look around a room and go, something is missing here, right, without right. a black woman having to tell you. I, I, I loved how in the book you talked about small and meaningful protests that you, you try and implement in your life. For instance, you talk about how you are done code switching. Correct. You say what you love is you go, I'm not just going to be black, I'm going to try and be the blackiest black that I can be. <laughs> that's the way to say it, right. yes. And, and, <laughs> and that's, that's a really interesting idea. Why do you think it's so important to do that? Do you, do you mm. think... Do you think code switching reinforces the stereotypes that people have about black people? So they go, oh, you sound more white, ergo, yeah. you know, whiteness is associated with smartness. Right. Right. And then you go like, no, I'm going to be as black mm -hmm. as you think a black person can be while still maintaining that level of intelligence. Is that, yeah. is that part of it? Code switching is a marvelous cultural tradition and I love it. I love that I'm able to do it. Right. I also love that I'm able to choose not to do it. What I am doing when I do it is that I am acknowledging the fact that I have achieved certain uh, status symbols that we tend to associate with people who don't look like me. Right. And I want to make people uncomfortable with the fact that they are uncomfortable with me. Reconcile the fact that if you think I am anything worthwhile, intelligent or attractive or important, I want them to reconcile that with the fact that I sound like I sound, I look like what I look like, right. and that I am what I am. It's, it's such a powerful idea. There's so many essays that tackle so many subjects. I mean, everything from you talking about how Serena Williams mm -hmm. had to basically, you know, commandeer her own mm -hmm. treatment in a hospital mm -hmm. because people didn't know how to treat her. You talk about the mortality rates of black yeah. women giving birth in America. You talk about your own stories where mm -hmm. you went into your favorite bookstore and they, are, they took your purse because yeah. they were afraid that you were gonna steal right. books. Right. Which I always think is a great thing to let people steal anyway. I, I'm right. Like, steal the books, whatever. My but part of that is they were used books. Like, give those away. Right. They're used, do, man. Do, do, you, do you ever have the urge to go back to that bookstore and be like, oh no, I'm here to sign my own now? Uh... <laughs> you know, we, um, we have a word for that, and that's called being petty. And yes, yes, I have. <laughs> for being on the show. It's always me. an honor to have you here. <laughs> Thick is an amazing book by an amazing woman. Tressie McMillan caught him, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.